Tales from the Riverbank, number one. Now I did something today I've been meaning to do for a few years. Well, getting on for 50 years actually. A river walk. Now by a river walk I don't mean some boring grown-up amble along a river path. I mean a river walk, actually in the river, as I used to do as a kid. Carrying only a can of iron brew, a jammy piece and my camera phone, I walked in the River Colju from Denton home to where it joins the Eden in Bits Park. It was amazing. Because of flood defences and the like, the river itself is pretty much cut off from civilization. It's a veritable nature reserve. Along the way I saw sand martins, dippers, kingfisher, ducks galore, otter tracks, grey wagtails, yellow wagtails, pied wagtails, heron, flowers and dragonflies. I waded among shoals of minnows, chased brown trout, and even a couple of sea trout through the pools. And all this in a river that runs so close to the city. I did not see a soul. I walked under rail and road bridges. I saw the remains of old bridges, even came across a full length of railway track embedded in the river bed. I don't even know if you're strictly allowed to do this walk, but I'm 60 now and what the hell. It never stopped me when I was a kid, and 60 is the new 10 as far as I'm concerned. If you want to do the walk yourself, you'll need your dukas on. Even in the low summer water, there's a couple of places that reach right up to your bits. I even managed to swim in a deep pool I never knew existed, just above the bridge, over the sheep mount. After the hot summer, September came in, to quote Ted Hughes, like the month of the drowned dog. River waters rose and the leaves and temperature fell as autumn took hold. My trusty battered trainers and shorts were consigned to the back of the wardrobe to hibernate until the warmer days of spring. Wading through a river would have to cease for this year. Time was, however, not wasted, and I filed away some of the photographs recording my summer aquatic safaris. Wading the cold dew and petrol enabled me to relive my childhood and to see the city in its fringes from a little absurd vantage point. Towering flood defence walls, overhanging trees, and dense screens of bulrushes and wildflowers give you a sense of isolation and adventure. There are no footpaths here. The stony riverbed is your trail through this hidden urban wilderness. A theme suggested itself. Looking through the photographs, I was reminded that this sense of stillness and isolation was most profound beneath the various bridges that cross these rivers. We've all walked, driven or rode a train over them, but how many of us have passed beneath them? These structures are of different sizes and construction. Sandstone is the main proverbial building block, but wood, iron and concrete are also in evidence. Each differing structure means that for a few short moments the sky disappears and you enter a secret twilight world. It is undoubtedly the large Victorian sandstone bridges that impress most from river level. As you wade towards them their towering arches beckon like a tunnel. It's a bit like looking through a telescope the wrong way round. The greens of the trees and bushes at the far end seem tiny, framed as they are in this sandstone optical lens. 
The arch grows bigger as you approach until, finally, you are in the body of the telescope itself and the world changes. At the far end of this vast vaulted space, the river and trees are framed in the arched window as beautiful as any cathedral stained glass. The river runs slow and deep here, awed into silence as if to marvel at the Victorian engineers who created this space. Huge Jenga blocks of sandstone slot perfectly together. Broad and wide at the base to withstand the river's angry floods, they taper gracefully skywards to meet in a perfect, delicate arch. Tons of sandstone hang above me, suspended like my belief. All become silent. Yes, at first there is a deep, throaty rumble of overhead traffic, but the sound is so deep, and for a short moment it becomes like the cry of a bat at the other end of the acoustic spectrum, inaudible to human ears. What you are left with is an eerie stillness. There is only the occasional lapping of water against the walls, and the drip, drop of water from the arch high above. Click your tongue, and the sound echoes back off the walls, momentarily spooking you. Walls and roof are a deep umber, but stained here and there with reds and orange. Black soot coats some surfaces, and white lines of mortar dribble down the walls. The colours change as the intruding light shafts dapple and reflect off the water. The river itself turns almost black as it drags itself through this forbidding space. It is hard to believe that in times of flood, the water will surge through here in a brown, angry mass, but a stained line high above my head is ample evidence of past high waters. Even in this summer drought, the water still runs deeper here. Channels and gullies have been cut and eroded hard up against the walls and are the home to many a good fish. I caught my best ever cold dew trout under Nelson Bridges back when I was a lad, over two and a half pounds in weight. It was an ugly, large-headed, kipe-jawed ferox or cannibal trout. It was tempted by my small wet fly nymph rather than its more usual fare of other smaller trout on which these cannibals will gorge themselves and grow so large. When first hooked, it took off, stripping line from my reel in the heart-thumping zing that is music to any fisherman's ears. Strangely, as it came to the end of the bridge vault and entered the faster sunlit waters downstream, it suddenly turned and rushed back towards me. It was as though the fish had been spooked by this new, brighter world and wanted no part of it. For the rest of the long fight, the trout slunk doggedly in the deep, dark waters it knew so well. It tried repeatedly to escape into the hidden ledges and rocks up against the bridge wall before I managed to slip my landing net underneath it and haul it ashore. Look around the muddy shoreline that invariably borders the first arch and you will find stealthy footprints that mark the passage of other visitors. Webbed imprints show where Mallard and the occasional larger and greedier Goosander have come ashore. Coot and Moorhen have no webbed toes and leave a different but recognisable mark. Delicate tracings of small feet belong to wagtails and dippers that have danced and bobbed in the shadows. 
As a child, the humble water vole was a common sight along our rivers. Now, thanks to pesticides and pollution, they have all but disappeared. The otter was luckier and has thankfully survived and continues to flourish even in our inner city waters. If you are lucky, you may find in the mud the unmistakable five padded print that marks where they have stood and imagine their plaintive whistles echoing off the bridge walls. Herons lumber their way laboriously through, ducking their heads inadvertently from the roof above. Dippers speed through on low-level bombing and reconnaissance missions, their white apron-clad breasts visible against the dark walls. And every so often, the iridescent kingfisher will flash by in a speeding police light blue. All are keen, it seems, to rejoin the sunshine. The wagtails and dippers will rest up for longer in the shade, but continually eye the clouds of insects that hover and dance in the framed shafts of light that mark the bridge's arch. A true window of feeding opportunity. Further downstream, the zigzag metalwork of the railway bridge may not have the same grandeur as its sandstone cousins, but they still manage to cast their own unique light and shadow over the river below. Here the buttresses are stained white, not with limescale, but with the accumulated guano of the many pigeons that have nested in the tangled ironwork for years. A piece of man-made graffiti daubs one of the pillows. Yet even this is turned into something beautiful by the dappled light and reflections. It twists and melts into a surreal Dali-esque addition to this already strange landscape. Even the ugly concrete bridge under Warwick Road from river level takes on a surreal sculptured look as I stoop to pass beneath it. The last river I walked this summer was the Gelt, not an urban safari I know, but still one with the evidence of the hand of man. The bridges here are ones of extremes. There is the tiny stone bridge that crosses Hellbeck. Here the water rushes and tumbles through the short darkness of the tunnel, tripping over itself down a small waterfall in its haste to leave the darkness and join the river proper. There is also the brooding stonework of Middle Gelt Bridge, which seems to grow organically out of the sandstone gully on which it sits. Here the river flows like glass and perfectly reflects the beech trees above. And higher still, even the beech trees are dwarfed by the slender heron-legged buttresses that carry the railway bridge in the blue sky above. So, next time you travel over one of these bridges, perhaps take a moment to consider what lies below. Sometimes hidden treasure can be, literally, under your feet. Well, that was Gary Johnson with Tales of the Riverbank Part 1. We've got two more of those to come. So I thought that was wonderful. It was a pastoral, but also informative look at the rivers of Carlisle and surrounding areas. So Gary was talking about the River Eden, the River Petrel and the Coldew. And then the last river he spoke about was the Gelt, just outside Carlisle towards Brampton. It was forthcoming because I put a little post up on Facebook saying that I was quite interested in doing, creating a library of audio clips from my talented Facebook friends. 
I know so many creative people, so many people with things to say, who've done really special things in their lives and have really interesting things to say. And it doesn't really matter what about. It could be about nature. It could be about history. It could be about your hobby. It could be about music. It could be about anything. It could be about spirituality. It could be about the weather. But I thought it'd be really fun to put these together as a library so that people can listen to them. And so I would just welcome any of you to submit. Now, Gary provided me with some tracks that required very little on my part. I don't mind having to do a bit more of an edit to polish them up. And if you've got something to say, but you don't have a microphone or you don't know how to do that, I can come to you. How about that? And we'll just start to put these things together because I think you'll agree that was really fantastic. I'm looking forward to posting the next two excerpts from Gary's travels and thoughts. So that was a really wonderful first post and really special, and I was massively impressed by it. Although I shouldn't have been surprised because of the things that Gary writes on the on the on the Carl, particularly in the Carlisle Facebook group about history and legends and snippets about Carlisle's fascinating past. But yeah, all of you have got something to say. Either send me an audio file or let me come and record you. And we'll just do it in a very laid back, informal sort of way. And who knows what kind of collection we'll end up with. I think it'll be fun. <laughs>